This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. A miraculous alchemy occurs when one person reads to another, transforming the simple stuff of a book, a voice, and a bit of time into complex and powerful fuel for the heart, brain, and imagination. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with an author of a new book on reading aloud, and she's going to take the latest neuroscience and behavioral research and literature and explain to us the dazzling cognitive and social-emotional benefits that await children, whatever their class, nationality, or family background. But it's not just about bedtime stories for little kids. Reading aloud consoles, uplifts, and invigorates at every age, deepening the intellectual lives and emotional well-being of teenagers and adults, too. My guest argues that the ancient practice of reading aloud is a fast-working antidote to the fractured attention spans, atomized families, and unfulfilling ephemera of the tech era, and it's going to help to replenish what our devices are leeching away. For everyone, reading aloud engages the mind in complex narratives. For children, it's an irreplaceable gift that builds vocabulary, fosters imagination, and kindles a lifelong appreciation of language, stories, and pictures. And it all starts right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Son, we got to talk about drinking. Uh, I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Megan Cox Gurdon, who's the author of The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. Megan, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Do you think that people have stopped reading aloud to kids? Well, we know certain things. We know that the number of parents who read to their very small children babies and toddlers, is actually seems to be slowly ticking up. But we know also that uh, when kids are able to read to themselves or when they reach about the age of five, that in most families, even in the families where, you know, reading has been part of the, let's say, evening routine, uh, the reading starts to die away. And by the time children are 9, 10, 11, it's vanishingly rare in most households. So it's, 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 uh, it's something that, uh, you know, is really well worth revisiting as a, both a wonderful way to kind of build the family 
and also a way to build, you know, build children's cognitive and emotional capacities at a time when, you know, we have our technology dragging us away um, from those good things. Well, talk a little bit about some of the benefits that come from, from reading aloud. I mean, I think a lot of people who have listened to the show have heard me go on and on about this and have read my columns, and I talk about the benefits and, and how people are exposed to more more language, and they do better in school, and, and a lot of things. But why don't you summarize some of the benefits for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, it's, you, you know probably from, you know, your reading and maybe your personal experience. I know from my personal experience and now my research, uh, the truth of what the read-aloud time, according to social scientists, is one of the most important indicators of a child's prospect in life, which is kind of an extraordinary thing. But here's what it does. It, it boosts children's cognitive development. Uh, it improves their ability to focus. It fosters social and emotional development, strengthens you know, their emotional connections with the people who are reading to them in their own family, help it, you know, children learn to uh, something called theory of mind, which is the idea that other people who are separate from them, this is when they're very small, that other people have you know, their own emotions and their own uh, responses to things, and that we ourselves can influence other people's emotions. All of this, you know, doesn't necessarily come automatically to every child. So picture books, um, as I say, my book, are a way of turbocharging child development in those early crucial years when children's brains are growing like mad. Sometimes it's hard for people to quite grasp something if you only look at what, what benefits something has. So what happens if kids don't get read to? Yeah, so children who do not get read to are at a, a really serious and profound disadvantage, uh, certainly when they go to school. And over the years, that disadvantage tends to, to increase because, because of the corresponding advantage for children who have had what you alluded to before, this extraordinary, um, the extraordinary sort of, uh, uh, well, what's the metaphor, sort of, um, you know, enormous amount of language that children get when, when, when books are read to them. You know, children really need to hear, to, to develop uh, fluency, to develop a broad vocabulary. You know, the more words they hear spoken to them, the better. And, uh, and what, I mean, kind of extraordinarily, you could imagine that, say, um, any picture book, you know, how, how many words are in a picture book, right? They're 32 pages, maybe, you know, a, some number of words, but how consequential could it really be? Well, this has been studied, and a child who reads just or has a parent read just two picture books a day, which is maybe a time sink of five minutes, that child in the course of a year hears 438,000 words of text, which is quite <laughs> extraordinary. So you imagine that you, you don't read just for five minutes a day. You read for an hour a day if you can, an enchanted hour, as I call it. Uh, that is just a, just a phenomenal amount of language, not just words, but, uh, you know, syntax and grammar and words that sort of open up the world to children. Mm. You know, I've always thought, and I, I want to talk to you a little bit in, in much more detail about how exactly you read to kids, because there are different theories about that and different approaches. But for me, one of the most important things was when reading to the kids is not just the language that I was directing at them by reading the book, but the discussions that we no, would have, and right. and yeah. well, what do you what do you think the bunny's going to do? And why? Look at which which one of these guys has two eyes, or find the blue things, or and the, and then when they begin to respond and they begin to ask questions, they're directing a lot of the conversation. So it's not just the 
the incoming one-way transmission of vocabulary no, or, or words. Exactly right. It's the give and take that really I yeah. think. You know, that yeah. and the fact that just having them on your lap or snuggled up next to you under a blanket is just so sweet. Just well, I mean, it is sweet, you know. and and that feeling that you get, you know, when you when you, you know at the end of a hard day and you finally got people's teeth brushed or whatever, and you sit down and oh, and there's that feeling of sort of relief and relaxation with the reading time. You know, that's not just uh, a, a kind of you know an illusion. That there's there's good physio- physiological uh, science behind it. It's essentially chemistry. You know, sitting down with a child and a book actually reduces feelings of stress and the stress hormone cortisol in both parent and child, and it increases the bonding hormone oxytocin. So we're really, you know, we're not just having a nice time together. We're actually building our relationship. And and the conversations that you described are crucial. That's exactly right. And one of the reasons I argue for the picture book and, and for reading in general as a kind of antidote to the some of the effects of technology on family life is that very thing that that interacting with a book gives you not only the story, the pictures, the language that's in the book, but foments all this other conversation and exchange, which is just absolutely important for children as they learn to navigate the world and also their own interior lives. You know, what really I find difficult about this is that in in some ways it, it it seems to exaggerate the class differences and other kinds of differences between various populations because it seems like the people who are doing it continue to do it and the people who are not doing it don't do it. And so another generation of kids grows up. I mean, I, I remember having these thoughts when my when my older two were very little. We lived right across the street from a girl who would sometimes babysit for my kids. And I, I thought after a while when I tried to help her with the paper that she was writing in high school, this this girl was, was functionally illiterate. And I thought, my kids at the ages of two and five are set for life because I read to them and, and their mother reads to them and they've got books in the house. And, and there were no books in, in this girl across the street's house. And I thought, it's, she's she's hampered for her whole life probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm unfortunately. I mean, do, you know, do you know what I mean? It just—it seems—it oh, seems tragic in in a way that that in. No, in... it does. It absolutely does. And and you know that's one of. I mean, I'll say you know when when I talked about writing this book, one of the things my editor said was you know the the truth of the matter is you know there are lots of parents who will just embrace this message because it validates what they're already doing. And in fact, you know, I was thrilled to find how much you know proof there is of the good of of what what I was doing, what you were doing with your children. Um, and the and the and the painful truth is that it's harder to get through to families that are not you know already kind of tuned into literacy yeah. or, you know that kind of thing. I think you know one of one of one of my goals, one of my great ambitions though, is to help uh, you know to nudge the needle to the degree that we as much as possible normalize reading aloud as a really lovely thing to do. Um, I mean there are all sorts of wonderful philanthropic outfits that are trying to spread the message, I and mean, there's just this enormous push going on because. You know, we can, to the very point you, that you described, you know, there is this bifurcation in a way between the children of the country, and some are some are smoothly locking into the education system and some are being left behind. But, the, but here's the other painful fact about it, of course, is that when they really need it is when they're tiny. They need, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, we need to get to, and of course there are groups like Reach Out and Read who are, uh, you know, operating by getting into pedi- pediatric practices and hospitals and giving books to parents right there, you know, at the point of arrival 
and when children come in for their shots and their checkups and things, and and you know again to try to to normalize this to, and 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 of course you and I as practitioners know, it's actually one of the one of the one of the greatest things you can do with children, and it's one of the easiest things because they they love stories and they love our attention, and it's uh it's it's got all these you know. Oh, I don't know, all these profound advantages. And the only real sacrifice you have to make as a parent is a bit of time. And, you know, some people have said to me, well, what about parents? They're so busy. We all have so much to do. We're all trying to get things right. And, boy, do I understand that. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, in some ways, it's the busiest families that have the most to gain from this. That's another part of the message I want to try and get out because, you know, if you have limited time with your child, if you have limited attention to, to give to your child... This is one of the most productive ways to spend your time together. Talking with Megan Gurdon, who's the author of The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Megan. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ. Good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> it's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. It kind of freaks me out that some people actually go through their trash to pull out recyclables. That's not for me. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. In your recycling bin? No, in my trash. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I don't even know what they do with recyclables. They make more of the things you use, Maria. More newspapers, more bottles and cans. Out of a bunch of trash? I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Recycling creates jobs and protects the environment. Is that important to you? It is, which is why I put my trash where it belongs. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more on our website, yougottobekidding.org. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. See why recycling is not rubbish. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brock, talking with Megan Cox Gurdon, who's the author of The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. I want to get back to something we were just touching on before, which is that in in many ways, the people who are already doing this are, or maybe we'll put it a different way, the people who are going to read the book are people who are already doing this. How do you reach the people who are not doing it? I mean, how do well, how do we get how do we get them? And you were talking about hospital programs and, and giving out books, but I mean, there there are families I know, Im- immigrant families, for example, where somebody that the parents may not may not speak the English, or they may not feel comfortable reading, they may have difficulties reading, or something like that. And I think a lot of people would stop. But how do we make this something that everybody does? 
Well, you know, I mean, I guess how do we how do we do how do we do how do we achieve any kind of social change, right? We push, and we talk, and we try to inspire. Um, you know, I mentioned the philanthropic organization Reach Out and Read. Um, and there are there are book charities. There's another operation called Read Aloud 15 Minutes uh, that is trying very hard to. They're putting out public service uh, public service ads. They're very funny, very clever ones, um, just to sort of saturate the market with this idea that this is what you do when you bring home a baby. You sit with the baby and read. And I, you know, I do think even uh, let's say a book like mine uh, is picked up by families that are more you know already committed to this idea. I have actually already seen, um, you know, I've been, people have called me and contacted me. How can I help with others? You know, how can I go out into the community and do more with others? So, you know, I think the fact, Armin, that you and I are having this conversation now is is we are doing our bit to nudge the needle, you know, just to – one of the extraordinary things I've found is um, people who said, oh, I, I, I knew you do, I knew you read to babies, but I never imagined that you would read to children who could read to themselves or that you would read to teenagers or, this is another part of the book, you know, our, the only important family dynamic is not just parents and young children, it's also parents and older parents, you know, with our elders. Reading together is something that actually immeasurably er- enriches the people who participate in it. And that's yeah. true up and yeah. down the age spectrum. Oh, and, and I'll tell you, I'll give you some examples, I think, of, of additional things that I would suggest, and I know you, you've talked about a lot of these in the books, but, I mean, I get a lot of kids' books to review, and donating those to local charities or local schools for after-school programs, because a lot of times, particularly in inner-city programs or, or low-income areas, they just may not have a budget for books, and so yeah. doing that is a good thing. And I had, uh, when my, my daughter was, my oldest one was about 12, she was getting ready for her bat mitzvah, and we were looking for some charitable projects for her to do, and so the two of us went to volunteer to read to kids at a school. And that that kind of thing is something that, that those, answering the questions that you said people were asking you about, how what can I do to help out? It's that kind of thing. Uh, you can give them the skills, give them the resources, and, and actually read to them. And, and it just makes, it made a big difference. Yeah, you know, the up, there's a wonderful outfit up in uh, Tompkins County, New York, uh, the Family Reading Partnership. Uh, they're operating principally out of Ithaca, but they serve the whole county. And um, and they get kids from Cornell. Actually, it's the um, I'm going to get this wrong. It's the lacrosse team. Uh, the lacrosse team. They put on funny costumes and they go to schools and they read to children. You know, it's just it's absolutely darling. And uh, and it's and it's really good for the for the you know the young adults as well. They are they step out of their college personas and wear. Well, the day I was there, they were wearing fish costumes. It looked preposterous, but I think that was the freshmen had to wear the fish fish costumes. But um, you know, again, it, it, it was they you know they go into the classrooms, they lead, read to children, and it um, was one of those wonderful instances where different generations mix. You know, we don't don't do that much of that in this country, and um, it's as I said before, just very very enriching for both sides um, to to encounter one another in a story. Yeah, and and I think there's something else that I just would would throw out there for people who are listening, particularly on the AFN stations that the, that this is on, is that one of the best ways I've found for service members who are being deployed overseas to stay connected to their families is to record themselves. You can do it video or audio, reading stories to their kids, and to have those have the 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 parent who's at home play those recordings or the videos. 
It's yeah, the, there are some great organizations for uh, United Through Reading is one of them. Exactly, um, yeah. That yeah. Does, does a lot of that stuff, and it's uh, it, it's just terrific stuff. So, how, um, Megan, how, how do you suggest that you do it? If, if you're somebody who's new to reading, maybe somebody's listening who's just had a baby and they really hadn't thought about it, what do you need? Is there a particular environment or, or what? How do you set it up? Yeah, you know, I think, I think that a certain amount of trial and error is probably a good idea. Um, I always found, uh, you know, I have five children, and I started reading. It was basically the only thing I knew to do with them when I first had my first child. I didn't grow up, you know, around other children. I didn't really know how to be with babies. For me, reading was a kind of, it was reading picture books taught me how to be a mother, I think, actually. It gave me uh, some quiet time where I knew I, I could read, and I, um, I, I didn't know how to talk to a baby, you know, and, and picture books helped do that. So for me, it was always in the evenings. And I, I, what I suggest is that people pick a time, and it could be at breakfast when the baby's in the high chair, or it could be, you know, at nap, one of the various nap times you have if it's a small child. And just give it, you know, give it five or ten minutes the first day. And don't, I think, you know, we, we, all, we all try hard. We all want to get it right. Um, I don't want anybody ever to beat themselves up about this, you know. It's just, it's just a positive thing. Start whenever you can. Just start for five or ten minutes the first day and just try and do it again, this, you know, the next day at the same time. And, uh, you know, if the children are a bit older and it feels a little awkward, well, that's okay, you know. You start small. You read uh, a poem or a picture book or something you have to read for school and, do it at the same time, do it the next day. And, uh, you know, it is my firm belief that when people get a taste of this, having overcome maybe the momentary, you know, weirdness of starting to do it, 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 it the time rapidly becomes not a sacrifice but a, a benefit and a treasure. Can you talk about the difference between reading and just telling a story? Well, there are, I mean, both are wonderful, right? I mean, it's, you know, there are two different ways of, of experiencing things. What a child gets when you tell a story is, is, is fantastic. They get your full attention. They get your thoughts. They can watch your face as you're telling the story, and that's very, very helpful for them as they learn to acquire language and also, you know, emotional, uh, you know, development and awareness. Um, when you read a story with them, what we know, especially if it's a picture book, we know from the science that a child's brain lights up. I'm told neurologists say we're not supposed to use that phrase, but since I'm a layman, I'll use it. Um, the, the different domains of the brain are all engaged when we read a picture book to a child. It's, in this way, one of the most uh, consequential things we can do because all sorts of different capacities like uh, the semantic and the, the language development and the processing of visual, visual stimuli and memory and introspection and skill refinement and creativity, all these different domains come to bear when a child is sitting quietly with a parent or adult and that uh, the, you know, the reader is bringing the story into the air, as it were, through the, with the voice, mm -hmm. right, so the child can hear it in the ears. And the child has, has time to look at the pictures that aren't jumping around, you know, like a video would do. Just still pictures and the, and, the, and the gentle process gives, you know, the introspection that a small child has is not necessarily something very, um, you know, very, very involved or refined. It may be just something as simple as thinking, oh, Curious George has a balloon. I had a balloon, you know. It just, but, but even when that, little, that kind of thought takes place, that kind of uh, reflecting on what a child is seeing in a book, uh, that's very engaging for their mind. Um, with 
I, I understand that the same, you know, the same studies that, that found this, done in Cincinnati, by the way, at the Children's Hospital there, uh, that found that picture books are so productive, found that when a small child is listening to a story, you know, their, brains, their brain domains are engaged, but not to the same degree. So it, the visual seems really to help them. So are the things you would suggest that people not do when reading? Uh, <laughs> yes. I would say do not insist that a child sit still. Yeah. yeah. Do not insist that the child sit on your lap. Uh, do not insist that the child have its hand, or her hands empty. Uh, you know, uh, children are people, right? We all have different preferences. Some children get very impatient if there's a lot of landscape description. I had one of those. Uh, some children really enjoy listening while fiddling with their fingers, like building a Lego or something like that. So I think, you know, giving them a certain amount of freedom and just, just you know, being brave enough to sort of stick with the reading, even if your audience doesn't seem absolutely, you know, riveted to your every word, um, is a good way to make space for everybody, you know? I've been talking with Megan Cox-Gurdon, who's the author of The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. Megan, thanks so much. Great to have you. Yeah, lovely to be here. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me, and that I'll be home soon. And Mom... Since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. If you've never been to Philadelphia, you need to add it to your list of must-visit cities. Famous as the city of brotherly love, Philly seamlessly blends the historic, the modern, and everything in between. The locals are friendly, the city itself is wonderful to explore on foot, and the subway bus system, called SEPTA, is easy to navigate. On our visit, we spent some time on the beaten track, but also found plenty of time to get off it. Here are some of our recommendations. For more or to plan your trip, definitely check out Visit Philadelphia at visitphilly.com. The Franklin Institute. This science museum is amazing and has something for everyone in your family. You'll find hands-on exhibits where you can learn about gears, power, physics, and static electricity, a heart that's big enough to walk through, virtual reality, immersive experiences, an escape room, a planetarium, and even some look-but-don't-touch marvels, including our absolute favorite, the Maillardet Automaton, a fascinating machine that was the inspiration for the movie Hugo and the book it's based on, The Invention of Hugo Cabret. You can get information at fi.edu. The Muter Museum of the College of Physicians of Philadelphia this remarkable collection of medical oddities includes a slice of Albert Einstein's brain, wax models of every conceivable disease, 
a death cast of the original Siamese twins Chang and Eng, and preserved specimens of two-headed babies and a variety of diseased or deformed body parts. There's also a 2,374-piece collection of objects removed from the airways and digestive tracts. This includes pins, nails, coins, toys, wire, and more. MuterMuseum.com Pizza Brain This smallish, off-the-beaten-track pizza place is also the home of the world's largest collection of pizza-related items, and they've got the Guinness World Record to prove it. You'll find articles on the history of pizza in the United States, record albums, ads, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figures, pizza-themed games, and even a Starship Enterprise pizza cutter. Pizzabrain.org Philadelphia's Magic Gardens Isaiah Zagar has been making his own brand of whimsical, eclectic, colorful, and wildly creative mosaic art in Philly since the late 1960s. Using handmade tiles, broken mirrors, bottles, bowls, figurines, and other materials, he decorates both the inside and outside of his creations. This installation covers half a city block and includes an outdoor labyrinth that's fascinating. phillymagicgardens.org Bury the Hatchet Imagine darts, but with axes. It may sound a little intimidating, but it's easy to learn and lots of fun. Your experience starts with a lesson in the basics of throwing and scoring, and it's followed by some friendly games. An instructor will be with your group for the whole visit to keep score and, most importantly, to keep everyone safe. For ages 14 and up, burythehatchet.com slash axethrowing dash Philadelphia. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.